0: Four Ways to Give Your Kids and Grandkids a Great Financial Foundation for Life. Welcome to another episode of Millstone River Live, a podcast brought to you by Millstone
1: River Wealth Manager. Hello, Matt. Adam, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited because we're talking about a subject today that it's probably um, one of the brightest parts of my day when um, I hear the great news from a client that their family is expanded, that they've uh, have a, a child or a grandchild on the way, and generally one of the first you know follow ups to sharing that news with me is what can we do to build on or, or, or start off financially a good foundation uh, for that, that baby that just arrived. So I thought today perhaps we could uh, give a couple of different ways that that, you know, that perhaps can be implemented. You know, we all want what is best for our children and grandchildren. We want them to develop into kind, capable, and responsible people. Uh, but study after study shows that money is one of the leading causes of stress and unhappiness. Uh, and there's, you know, probably you know, few better ways to positively implement their future happiness than you know giving them a financial head start. And I'm not implying that you just hand over a pile of cash to them. We're talking about precise ways uh, that you can. Um, you know, instill different values or actually give tools to grandchildren and, and, um, and children that will allow for greater financial success. So I thought maybe I would ask you about some of those ways today.
0: I think it sounds great. I think we want our kids to be happy and that doesn't just mean handing them some money, but we can definitely give them a good financial foundation that will last well beyond the lesson that you impart.
1: Yeah. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, you know, we hear from from people that, you know, only if I had known I would have done this. So I think, you know, today's discussion is to try to uh, throw out some ideas that that might be things that they can get started with uh, right away. And um, so maybe one of the first is um, oftentimes, if there uh, are some funds uh, available uh, to uh, a child, the question becomes, you know, what what investment vehicle can they use to save and and set them up for the future? And what's one of the ones that we like?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, most of the time, if we're talking about young children, uh, their tax situation, their, you know, kind of overall financial picture, it's often well-suited to open a Roth IRA. Um, It could be a financially effective thing to do for kids of just about any age and The tax benefits, as I said, usually work very well. Not always for adults, but almost always for kids. Uh, Contributions to a Roth IRA are after tax. And the gains that they accumulate over time accumulate tax-free. That's the benefit. So when you take that coupled with their youthful age, the Roth IRA can be remarkable. Gains will have decades to grow. These are retirement accounts. Not everybody thinks about opening a retirement account for a young person but it's smart. And sometimes when I talk with a client, I'll say, had someone done this for you, how would you feel today? Never heard anyone say anything other than, oh, that'd be the greatest. Um, The other thing that comes up when we talk about this is, well, they don't have that much money that they earn. So what difference does it make? you do a little bit of math on a hypothetical scenario, it makes quite a difference. So here's an example. If you have a 16-year-old that has a part-time job, maybe after school or summers, and it could be self-employment like babysitting or cutting the lawn, uh, it could be a job like they work in a retail store or a restaurant. If they put away $5,000 a year starting at 16 years old and they do it until they're 65, which is just a common retirement age, Um, we're going to assume that those investments earn an average 7% a year. That's just an assumption. They could do better or worse. But if they did earn that 7% a year, at that common retirement age, age 65, they'd have over $2 million. So for the person who says, well, what's $5,000 going to do for me? The key is starting young and staying consistent with it. And if you can do that, you'll have had a big impact on helping that kid grow a significant nest egg. And I think anybody would be happy to know that they were put on the right path from an early age because that habit will stick with them invariably forever. So that $2 million that they might accumulate in our hypothetical example, uh, only 245000 of that is contributions. The rest is earnings from investment gains. And that all comes out tax-free. 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 So as we record this episode of Millstone River Live in the year 2023, the limit is $6,500 a year. The Roth IRA is not going to be the be-all, end-all for every situation. Uh, We have to take into consideration lots of factors to determine if that's the right choice. But you could put away in this tax year up to $6,500. That's more than the example that we just gave. And so you can open these accounts um, even as a custodian for kids who are too young to have their account in their own name. And, boy, what a a difference you're going to set up for them going forward.
1: That seems like a... a a great, uh, you know, vehicle, and then ability to sort of just get into a habit of systematic, you know, s- saving and, and Roth is a great way to do it, uh, and that produces, uh, you know, an asset for the child later on in life. Um, but uh, being prepared for the ability to borrow at a certain point in time is also something that you know, getting an early start on can, um, you know, be valuable. So maybe you could kind of share an, another thing to think about.
0: Yeah, I think if you want to help your kids out in life, one of the other things you can do for them financially is to help them build a good credit score. And that means not just doing it for them, but helping them understand what is a credit score, what goes into how it's calculated, and why is it so important. You know, for people who know me personally, you know, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is The Honeymooners. And there's a famous episode where Ed Norton goes down to the local store and he keeps buying different kitchen appliances and even a new TV set, um, which in the 1950s was a pretty uh, special thing. And the guy who owned the store would give it to him on time. Just because he came in and made his payments every single week on payday, he knew that he was a good risk and he'd give him money. Well, it doesn't work that way anymore. And so now anyone who's going to lend you money, whether it be to buy a car or a home or even a student loan, they're going to run your credit score. And by the way, credit scores go far beyond just borrowing. Credit scores are used when calculating things like insurance premiums or when making job offers to applicants. And so we think it's important to understand these credit scores and to use them to your advantage to make sure that you're score is as strong or high as can possibly be. So it takes some trust and the benefits of the child, you know, will last them really for as long as credit scores are around. And I don't think there's any hint that credit scores are going away. Um, And as these kids transition into becoming adults, they'll be better positioned for all kinds of things like making purchases or getting good jobs If they have a higher credit score than those with a lower credit score. And like anything else in life, parents, grandparents, we want to make sure that we help our kids get set up on the strongest possible foundation. So uh, one example is you could name your child, uh, once they turn 18 years old, for example, uh, as an authorized user on a credit card. Give them the ability to demonstrate responsibility that they can make purchases responsibly, and make payments responsibly, that those payments are made on time. And then it's reflected in their credit score, which helps them build that score uh, from a very early age. 18 is about the earliest I think you can do that in most states. And so what will end up happening is that they will have built uh, something of uh, uh, credit history before they even go out for their first official loan, or credit score inquiry. The problem that many young people have when it comes to borrowing money is that they have not bad credit necessarily, but no credit. And so this alleviates that problem and it teaches them an important lesson that will last the rest of their life.
1: Uh, You know, a good credit score can help someone... um borrow at maybe more attractive rates for one of the major debts that you might have in life, you know, getting a mortgage for a house. Um, But there's another um, major uh, expenditure that sometimes requires debt that, you know, good counseling and advice uh, can help, uh, you know, help steer someone in the right direction. So maybe you could talk about the process of, you know, managing college debt. I think college debt has got
0: to be one of the biggest hot button topics for people and many many walks of life now, Uh, we hear people every single week the topic comes up when it comes to uh, because I have a college loan payment to make, I can't afford to do whatever, fill in the blank. And it could be something that hinders their ability to get started in life when they have their first job in their career path. It could be uh, hindering their ability to buy a home or a car or just even have a comfortable lifestyle. Uh, When it comes to college debt, I think what happens is that uh, kids applying to college are excited about the process. They think about writing their essays, and they think about their transcripts, and they think about even what they want to major in uh, as as a student. They don't always think about the financial aspect. For parents who are unable to pay for it or who haven't taken on the loans themselves, what happens is that these students, when they graduate from school, are forced to make life decisions that they may not otherwise have made if they didn't have this college debt to deal with. So one of the lessons we thought we'd share today is just about um, how to pay attention, let's say, to how much you're actually borrowing and to think about it in terms of what your future income might be. Um, This is not for everyone, but one rule of thumb is that your college debt should be limited to about one times your expected earnings upon graduation. So what's your starting salary going to look like? And your college debt should not exceed about that amount. And the reason that that's significant is at that debt level, that loan should be comfortably paid off within 10 years. The problem we see is sometimes people will take on a significant amount of debt, uh, unattainable levels that prevent them from being able to pay it off in a reasonable period of time. Um, As we record this episode, also in 2023, uh, we are heading into a presidential election campaign cycle where this topic will be discussed. And regardless of which political party you affiliate with or where you stand philosophically on the government's role in college debt, whether kids take on too much or whether the value of education is worth it, we think that it's important to give some thought to. And one of the other ways you can do that as you're preparing your children or grandchildren is to avoid the you know, uh, sticker price of how much it costs to go to school. Pay attention to the net price, and you can find the information about the net price as a calculator at a website which every high school kid knows about, collegeboard.org. And if you go to that and use it as a resource, at any time you can take a look at this information. You'll be able to see what kind of financial aid is offered for different schools and so on, but you'll be able to see what it will actually cost. What is your actual out-of-pocket cost, in other words, to attend that school? And you have to think in terms of whether this is an attainable dollar amount or not. And that should be just as important a criteria as whether they offer the field of study that you're interested in or what the campus looks like aesthetically. Can you afford it, and can you pay it off if you're borrowing for it?
1: The last way I think you can give your grandchildren um, a head start is probably the simplest, but I think the most impactful, and we've alluded to it throughout the podcast so far. um, Matt, maybe you can talk about ways you can just simply talk with your children and grandchildren about finances. Absolutely. At some point,
0: this topic of money became taboo in many families and circles. I'm not sure exactly why that is. People are secretive. They sort of hold their cards close to the vest. And I think that's hurting uh, our kids. And the better thing to do might be just to have conversations. They don't have to be orchestrated. You don't need to be an expert. Uh, But I think it's important, and I'm sure you agree that having an opportunity to instill good values, explaining the rationale behind some financial decisions. And if you're willing to make yourself vulnerable, even share some of the things you've done, good and not so good, and why you did them and what the outcome was. And our kids will learn from that. You know, we teach them how to catch a ball, and we teach them how to ride a bike, and maybe even to catch a fish. We ought to teach them about how to manage money, how to save for the future, how to borrow responsibly how to build a good credit profile so that it sets them up for the best possible chance of success throughout life. But these financial discussions, starting at an early age during childhood, will go a very long way uh, in your role as either their parent or their grandparent or guardian or even just the aunt or uncle who wants to impart some very important wisdom. You know, we talked about opening up a Roth IRA from an early age, building credit, managing college debt. You know, these are all important. None of them matter nearly as much, I think, as having that conversation and just talking about money so kids can learn from that. And you might be surprised. You may learn something too.
1: I agree. And I would say if for whatever reason uh, you are uncomfortable with that or feel like you need help, I know Matt and I on numerous occasions have met with the you know children or grandchildren of our clients and have had um, you know from a from someone other than the family member try to give them that sort of same guidance that we've you know we just discussed today. I'm and how to do it?
0: Yeah, and it's a great topic. I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, I think that uh, if you are interested in having this conversation with your kids, but maybe don't know where to begin, give us a call. We'd be happy to help you out. Raising financially aware children is a resource that we have discussed with many many clients and potential clients, and we'd be happy to discuss it with you as well. So if that's a topic that you'd like more help with, that's a great reason to reach out. And both Adam and I are always happy to have that conversation. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We hope this was valuable. We look forward to checking in with you on a future episode of Millstone River Live. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Millstone River Live. Feel free to share it with someone you think might benefit. Millstone River Wealth Management is an independent wealth management firm based in New Jersey. We form a supportive partnership with our clients and help with financial education planning. We welcome your feedback. Send comments or questions to podcast at millstone-river.com. More information about our firm can be found online at millstone-river.com.